Welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast follow-up show, fueled by Elf Mark VDS Racing. I'm Adam Wheeler, and I'm talking today with uh, David Emmett from MotoMatters.com. Hello, Dave. Hello, Adam. And Neil Morrison, of course, the general all-rounder, do-gooder, and um, font of knowledge that is Moto2 and Moto3. Neil, have you recovered uh, from being 11 days eating strudel every day? I'm not sure I would call myself a do-gooder ad, but um, yes, just about recovered. I've been on a a salad diet, basically, to try and uh, uh, wean myself off the wiener schnitzel, and uh, so far it's, it's working quite well. Good man, you can see it in your, you know, in in kind of your complexion and your general well-being. I think you're better for being back on the Catalan tapas. So, <laughs> uh, without further ado, uh, let's have a quick look at the results um, that we saw. You know, from the second race at the Red Bull Ring, uh, Ralph Fernandez came back. He actually kind of swapped results with his Red Bull KTM IO teammate, um, finishing seventh in the first race and winning in the second. And Remy Gardner, of course, uh, his main title rival, doing the opposite, winning the first one and then finishing seventh. Um, Ayogura. Uh, you know, Neil kind of spoke about him on the follow-up show last week, and he made good on his form to finish second, first podium finish, I think, in the intermediate class, uh, of course, in his rookie term. And then Augusto Fernandez, uh, we just can't escape those Fernandezes. Uh, you know, I think a third podium for the season in third place. In Moto3, we watched Sergio Garcia um, take a fine win after the disappointment of his last lap crash um, at the first race in Austria. Um, and then Denis Anchu, I think he led something like 17 of 23 laps um, in Moto3 so a deserved podium there for the Turk uh, the second one of his career end of the year and then Dennis Foggia uh, giving Honda something to um, cheer with third place on the podium there guys uh, a quick moment of the weekend when it comes to the other classes um, but first of all I'll give you a moment to think about that. Uh, we just had the news we're recording on a Thursday that the uh, the Grand Prix in Sepang has been cancelled um, for the second year in a row. I just wondered, um, you know, what your thoughts were on that. It seems MotoGP is being limited more to a, a European season again. Uh, Dave, it's a shame to go there. I know you particularly like making that trip for pre-season testing, especially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's great for, for pre-season testing. Uh, it was logical. What I understand is that they were <clears throat> using the, I mean, under normal circumstances, it would be a great race to do uh, as a bubble uh, because almost everyone stays in the summer summer right next to the uh, airport and the racetrack itself is very close to the airport. But apparently they're using the summer summer for airport quarantine for visitors from, ex- uh, from, from outside anyway. So that space wasn't available. Um, they are re- releasing or, or easing the restrictions in uh, Malaysia slowly, but uh, apparently not quick enough. I think they were supposed to return to normal in November which is just too late for for MotoGP. Uh, replacing it with a, a race in Misano in the year that Valentino Rossi is retiring seems like a tremendously good idea anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, is, it is a real shame. Also, Sepang's a fantastic track. I, I really like um, uh, I really like Sepang. I think it is a great track. Um, so, yeah, th- that's a loss. And then hopefully, uh, you know, next year will be a little bit more normal. Neil, what's uh, your thoughts on, you know, going to Italy twice in the period of uh, two months? I mean, is that going to be okay for you? I mean, it's going to be okay for me, yeah. Um, I think it's going to be okay for a lot of fans as well, hoping to see Valentino Rossi. But obviously, a uh, great amount of Valentino Rossi support out in Southeast Asia too. Um, and the second year in succession that we won't be going there. So yeah, I echo Dave's thoughts that it is a shame um, that we're losing Sepang. Um, although it was one of those 
round that had sort of been hanging by a thread for the last couple of months and uh, at the start of the season I was made aware that um, unless there was something like two-thirds attendance then the circuit couldn't afford to have the race um, so it was going to be interesting to see how they, how they would manoeuvre that anyway um, but uh, but yeah in the end it's uh, it's just been a step too far so yeah hopefully we get back there for pre-season testing I think in 2022. Yeah, you'd have to imagine with the news uh, emanating from the United States that kind of the axe is hovering over the uh, the Red Bull Grand Prix, the Americas as well, um, you know, in, in Texas. So we'll have to keep an eye and see, you know, if we have another double at Valencia or uh, we go back to Portimao again. From what I understand, Dorna are very, very keen to actually have the race in Austin and they're getting a lot of help from the local government. So um, despite the, uh, uh, you know, the, the lack of ICU beds in uh, in Austin, it still looks like um, that will happen. So, and it's getting a bit late to, to cancel it really because it is, what is it, early October or something. So yeah, I think, I think that race is going to happen. But uh, if I was thinking of going, I would... Um, only I wouldn't book anything without free cancellation. Well, guys, nobody's going to be cancelling Ralph Fernandez. Uh, you know, a fantastic <laughs> victory in Moto Two. Um, what are our thoughts on the overall podium? Because it was, uh, you know, a curious gathering of riders. I mean, Neil, first of all, Augustin Fernandez is really hitting a streak of form, isn't he? Um, you know, rumours abound about where he's going to be riding next year, but after a, a somewhat dodgy start to the season, he's he's really hit. He's really finding his speed as part of you know the um, the Elf Mart VDS squad. He is Adam. Yeah, absolutely. I think Augusto's been in uh, in cracking form. I think you could say from from Portugal really we started to see glimpses of the old Augusto but almost the fact that he had been away for the best part of a season hadn't been up towards the front made, made him slightly anxious and we saw a host of mistakes in his kind of riding um, especially early in the race mistakes that led to crashes and um, I think when you look at Jerez and France and Mugello places where he had three non-scores, three early crashes. You know, he had decent potential there, decent speed across free practice. So um, the fact that he got back up there for Catalonia and then, um, you know, obviously the podium in Aston just seems to have, have spurred him on. Um, and yeah, those those rumours uh, do seem to be very true indeed that um, Augusto will be leaving the, the team at the end of the year. It looks as though he's on his way to Akiyayo's team um, to replace one of Raul Fernandez and uh, Remy Gardner. But um, but yeah, Augusto, it's good to see him back. And uh, you have to say that uh, uh, a first win of the season um, should be coming in the next couple of weeks. Now, just, just while you're talking, what's the story of Marco Bezzecchi? What was your view on that situation? Because he's third in the championship. He's 47 points behind um, Remy Gardner. But then, you know, there was a, a different level performance we saw from him at the Red Bull Ring in the second race. Yeah, it was a strange one for Bezzecchi. I mean, the simple explanation is just that he had a awful qualifying. He really messed it up and crashed out at a really critical moment um, during Moto2 qualifying, which left him, I think, 16th on the grid. And it's just so difficult to come back from there. He made a decent recovery early on, uh, got up to 10th, but um, I'm not sure whether it was his excerpts in the early laps, um, which led to his rear tyre deteriorating completely, um, or whether it was some sort of issue with his tyre. Um, Dunlop had a, a new uh, rear, I think, for uh, this weekend, a new super soft, but I don't think Bezeki was on that. Um, so I mean, it's quite difficult to, to really put your, your finger on. He said he had no rear grip from about half race distance and couldn't do any better than 10th. And that was just a terrible timing for him because he really needed to build on that win that he produced at the Styrian Grand Prix. Nice, it's 47 points back at Remy Gardner. Um, 
you know, in a, in a race when Gardner had a had a bit of a, a tough one, you know. So that was another great chance for Marco to come uh, closer to the front to claw further ground back. But it seems that um, some rear grip issues plus a rubbish qualifying really hampered him. When it comes to uh, Dave, just just turning to you for a second. I mean, the Moto Matters, you know, account on Twitter. I mean, I know you're a great fan of the block button. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> if, oh, if, honestly, for people, they must know listening to this podcast, it's a great font of knowledge and opinion and wit. Um, but, you know, it seemed that the race winner, Ralph Fernandez, has also been uh, blocking a few people recently. I mean, his quotes <laughs> post-race after his victory were something, you know, he dedicated the, the race win as usual to, to you know, his entourage, but then also to the haters that said, he wouldn't get on the podium again and i think a lot of people are a little bit disbelieving uh you know what kind of what kind of person what what troll is sending ralph fernandez uh trash talk in his first season in motor 2 because that that victory was a, a real demonstration i mean it clearly it motivated him so it didn't really have the effect that the uh the internet warriors wanted it, it, it never does well for for a start it was nice uh that Sir ralph fernandez actually had some words for a uh, for a change because normally he has no words <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 this is it. We, we've seen this before as well. We've seen this with, uh, I mean, Mark Marcus has had sort of similar things. You know, he'd get lots and lots of hate on um, uh, on social media and then go out and absolutely destroy the field just to uh, just to make a point before. And Fernandez, it was a fantastic race. Um, they were very controlled. Um, and it, it's amazing what people can use as uh, as motivation. They can, I mean motorcycle races are just one giant lump of ambition um, and uh, they, they want to prove themselves to the world and so for uh, you know for someone like um, Ralph Fernandez to be told uh, that he'll never get a podium again I mean like you do have to be sort of fairly insane to think that Ralph <laughs> Fernandez would never get a podium again you would not have to know very much at all about motorcycle racing um, but yeah to, to tell someone like that that they'll never get a podium again then that's pretty much guaranteeing that they will just uh, do everything they possibly can to do it um, but personally I, I, like I was most pleased with Ayagura um, uh, like the fact that he's a rookie, he's come into the class, he gets a podium in his first year, that I think is really, really impressive. And, you know, Sonkiat Chantra too. Uh, the, 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 the Honda team at KTM's um, uh, home race, um, Racing Triumphs, um, it did extremely well. It, it was it was a very very impressive, and it's a very mature race by Agura as well. And you have to think that um, uh, uh, Takanakagami will be getting a little bit nervous um, uh, uh, sometime soon. Do you think um, Ayagura is perhaps Japan's brightest talent we've had for some time? I mean, no disrespect to Nakagami, but, you know, the last really bright shining light we had was maybe Dajiro Kato. Um, and, you know, maybe Ayagura has shown his chops in Moto3. Um, he's obviously adapted to the Moto2 bike and that class continues to puzzle really because you'll see people like the world champion you know in moto three struggling to even make the points sometimes in the category uh whereas a rookie like him or you know maybe someone like aaron connect can really show their metal straight away i think what it shows is that the moto three class is not a very good class for developing riders um uh the, the difference between you know uh, agura and especially fernandez fernandez in moto three spent all of his time out on the track riding alone learning how to ride fast so he knows how to ride fast um uh you know the the the, the world champion has not done that and that uh, or did not do that it, it, you can do really really well uh in moto three just by following other riders around 
Dave, if you think that uh, riders, motorcycle riders are giant lumps of uh, ambition, that must make motorcycle journalists just giant lumps. <laughs> um, but you said that, that Moto, Moto3 doesn't really teach riders anything. I mean, surely if it didn't, if Moto3 isn't working, then we wouldn't have three rookies in the top six in Moto2 in the, the Austrian Grand Prix. I mean, by not working, you think it's, it's, it's hindering their development. It's, it's basically, it's containing them and okay, maybe they're not, it's requiring different skill sets and different types of riding, different types of tactics, but you can't say that it's not preparing riders when you have guys like Agura and Fernandez beating established names like Fernandez, Lowe's, Remy Gardner in this race. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's absolutely a valid point. I think my point is that um, there are two ways that you can succeed in Moto3. In Moto um, you can do extremely well uh, without learning without learning the skills which are going to help you succeed in the next class. I mean, you you do learn a lot. You know, you, you learn uh, sort of about racecraft, about overtaking, about positioning, all sorts of other things. Um, but unless you also do the work on bike setup, on, uh, you know, speed, because the thing is, if you are using the slipstream to get speed, then you're not learning about bike setup because what you're learning is how your bike is going fast behind someone else and not how to make your bike go fast on its own. Uh, so I think there are certain key skills which y you can miss out on. And that's why I think you see this uh, really big uh, split in Moto2 because Moto2 really is a class where people sort of, you know, go in and and can easy, very easily sink just by the stuff that they missed out in in the past. We saw this in, you know, previously with, with Danny Kent. Danny Kent was outstanding in Moto three, but he couldn't make the, uh, the he couldn't make the adjustment because he well, he was worried too much about um, you know his position on the timesheets. So he'd go around and follow someone trying to set a time rather than like getting out working on his own bike, working on uh, uh, on all the rest of it. I thought you were about to say he was worried about the position of his hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's um if you look at the rate of experience. I mean, just checking the statistics, Iagora had two years learning Moto three. Ralph Fernandez had the same. Um, you know, the world champion Albert Arenas had considerably more time. I think he had, you know, between five to six years experience in Moto3. Um, I mean, of course, teams work differently. Uh, they have different ideas about setup. I mean, you know, as much as the Moto2 is an identical category to a degree, you know, there are teams doing better jobs than others. I mean, that could be the scenario for Arenas. But, um, you know, Ayagura it clearly seems to have the sort of potential that maybe some of the Japanese firms are hoping for a, you know, a home rider to push strong into MotoGP. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, I, I's uh, development has been pretty rapid um, and he was challenging for the championship, I think, in Moto3 ahead of schedule. And uh, you have to say he's ahead of schedule in, in Moto2. Um, if it wasn't for Fernandez, we maybe said this on last week's show, if it wasn't for Raul, we would be saying that Igor is the best thing since sliced bread. And when are we going to see him in MotoGP? And you have to think if he if he continues like this, he'll, he'll be an absolute shoe-in for a MotoGP ride in 2023. I, I did hear a rumor from someone that um, he had an offer. Uh, he had an offer from HRC uh, that if he won the championship this year, then he'd go up to then he'd go up to MotoGP. But um, I mean, you know, winning the championship the first attempt is, is one of those really easy offers to make because the chances of it actually happening are uh, pretty close to zero. I'm just thinking, like, if you are um, if you are Johan Stigerfeld at the moment and you're looking for another name to fit alongside possibly Darren Binder in the uh, Patrona squad. I think you could do a lot worse than Aguro. 
Um, you know, when you, when you see some of the other names that are being linked there, I mean, Agur is young, he's hungry, he's intelligent, he showed ridiculous levels of talent. I mean, I think, um, I think Agur is going to be a big, big prospect. But given how heavily Honda are invested in having a Japanese rider, uh, do you think they would let that happen, though? Uh, but if you're a Gura, you look at what's going on with any Honda rider other than Mark Marquez over the last five years, <laughs> and you think, no, thank G you. Get me on a Ducati. <laughs> that is a fair point. Start learning some Italian as well as uh, English. But guys, let's just um, wrap up uh, You know our thoughts on, on Moto2. Um, obviously, Remy Gardner won the first race in Austria. Ralph Fernandez had a bit of a sticky one. Mm. No, Bezeki won. Uh, sorry, Bezeki won. Beg your pardon. Um, so, you know, the championship kind of lent one way and then it's flicked back the other way. <coughs> Excuse me. So we have now 19 points splitting the two KTM riders uh, again. Um, what, who's looking more likely at the moment? Do you think we saw the first kind of wavering of potential or maybe there's some pressure getting to Remy? Uh, I mean, seven races to go, 19 points is nothing. Dave, I mean, if you had to put your money down at the moment, who would you say would be world champion this year? I, I mean, I still think Remy's going to do it. Um, you just have days, you know, you, you, you just have those days sometimes. And it, yes, Remy had a bad day, but he still finished seventh, scored nine points. Uh, that's a decent points haul. Um, uh, and I, like, I don't think this one is going to be decided. I mean, it, if you look at um, even MotoGP, uh, you would have to say that, that, that Fabio Quartararo was well on his way to winning the championship, whereas this one I think is going to go uh, for a long time. I don't think it's going to be decided until, uh, I wouldn't say Valencia, maybe the race before, which is now Misano, I think. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, yeah, so I think it's going to be decided one or two races beforehand rather than uh, um, sort of a, a long time uh, before that. I think, I actually think that... Um, uh, Fabio Quartararo could end up being champion before we even leave the, you know, bef before we leave to go to Austin for for that race there. So, yeah, uh, I I still think the Remy's got the uh, got got the edge, but I think he's going to have to work for it. I think this was definitely Remy's toughest uh, toughest race, probably toughest weekend of the season. He crashed in qualifying, um, then he got a shunt at turn one from I think it was Schrotter and Kenet, um, and he got pushed back to 10th and he said it took about three laps for his front tire temperature to get right up through the roof basically couldn't really find any sort of performance from the front tire when he was braking plus coupled that with the fact that he was losing quite a lot of ground due to his weight coming out of turns one and three um you know so there were a whole host of factors at play there um but i would say that this was probably the first time i'd seen remy all season looking not under pressure a little bit a little bit actually yeah looking a little bit phased you know because he's just been so laid back and easy going and even on certain occasions before when fernandez has beaten him He's just taken it in his stride and thought, well, you know, no big drama. We've still got a good lead. But I think this performance and just seeing how Fernandez responded from a bad race the week before, it was it was real clear evidence that he's just not going away. And um, yeah, Remy realized that basically there were two two races in Austria, which he had potential to be on the podium at, and uh, both opportunities got away from him. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely spiced things up. 19 points is not a big margin whatsoever. So, um, yeah, finally poised. 
Yeah, Remy Gardner's going to need some sort of reply, really, just to kind of assert a little bit more control on the class, you would think, even just from a, a psychological point of view. But moving over to, um, you know, a, a class that's full of nutters, uh, <laughs> Moto3, I mean, it was an, another fantastic spectacle. I mean, we spoke last week on, on the first race of the duel between Pedro Acosta and Sergio Garcia. Um, and this time, Garcia struck back. Uh, it was was a fantastic victory, another engaging race, a little bit more Moto3-ish. Um, Neil, I mean, you were call you were calling sort of like you know the practice sessions throughout the weekend um you know it was a time when Romano Fanati was looking particularly strong on the Husqvarna as well uh you know Garcia's actually making maybe Pedro Acosta and Akiayu and the rest of the Red Bull Katie Mayu team have a little bit more a bit more heat under the collar would you say yeah a little bit yeah I mean the gap uh, Acosta's lead is down to 41 points um, and a little bit like Fernandez in Moto2 you know uh, Garcia is just there every week he's um, remarkably consistent and that was a big disappointment I think in the Styrian Grand Prix that he just managed to shrug off didn't let it phase him whatsoever and um, I thought his last lap his last two laps in fact were just stunning I think he was down in fourth at one point Dennis Foggia was ahead and you looked at Acosta was battling uh Give me some help here. Oh, no, Dennis Andre, of course, yeah, um, up front. And you thought, okay, well, Acosta's going to win and Garcia might finish third. But the fact that he, he reeled the, the, the first two in and he made Acosta look a little bit susceptible for the first time in the last lap for, well, the first time in ages. Um, yeah, it was a great, great performance from Garcia. And I think, you know, a little bit like Iguro Moto2, if it wasn't for Acosta, we would be hailing Sergio Garcia as Spain's next uh, brilliant talent that's going to come through the Grand Prix classes because he's only 18. I mean, he, he seems like he's been around forever. This is his third season, but he came in, I think he missed the first race because he was so young. He was 15 back in Qatar 2019. So, you know, he's still very, very young, um, but great potential and just looks so, so strong on the bricks. Um, and I just love his attitude, you know, didn't get phased, didn't get riled up by the, uh, the last lap um, incident with Acosta the previous week, came back re-energized and, and ready to attack again and, and just didn't give up. Dave, which Grand Prix did you prefer? Did you like the, the kind of duel we saw in the dam from the first one or did you like a little bit more? It, this was more a more refined kind of Moto3 race. I mean, we didn't have 12 riders going for the win. There was actually um, a filtering of, of the people who were quickest on the day, you know, at that particular time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this was this was a proper race. This was um, uh, the the best riders in the class using their skills to stay out in front, you know, and they made the, the, they made the difference. Um, I mean, I enjoyed this one as well because, again, I think Garcia rode a fantastic, absolutely fantastic race. Uh, uh, Denise Onchu also just rode a really, really good race, um, uh, but he was outclassed by by uh, um, by Garcia at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, I, but yeah, like I say, I, I enjoyed this. This was a proper race. I, I, do we think there is something about this circuit which allows the riders to get split up a little bit, or um, or, or what? I mean, Neil, how do you see the effect that this circuit has on the racing? Does that explain why we had a more sort of filtered, if you like, race where you know the the, the cream rose to rose to the top? Um, I think uh, you would put down the previous week to the to the wet weather and the gaps that we saw in the top six. Um, I would say here it was just abundantly clear how strong the KTM bike is this year. Um, I mean, they're obviously reigning world champions with uh, Albert Arenas, but I don't think we saw the kind of the, the gap here as defined last year. 
Um, whereas this year you could see that Dennis Foggia was really having to do everything that he could to just hang on to the back of the group. And I thought Foggia had a great ride actually to finish third because the likes of Binder and McPhee just couldn't keep up with that lead group. Um, it does seem that the, the, the KTMs, I think they've got... You know, it's, the championship shows this, that they've got the, the two best riders this year in, in Acosta and, and Garcia. Um, but I also think that they just have made tiny little incremental gains, um, which have taken them just a step away from Honda. Um, and I think the, the fact that you had someone like Dennis Onju, who had really strong pace, being up at the front, not really being passed or challenged. He was obviously being challenged, but um, the fact that he was up in front, more or less able to make his pace. I mean, there weren't many guys that could live with that. Two more talking points for you, both in Moto3. But first of all, we've got some thoughts from um, BT Sport commentator, uh, former racer and general good egg Michael Laverty on uh, the racing last weekend in Austria. Well, Moto3 looked quite different this week without any rain interruption on the grid. But same protagonist, really, Sergio Garcia. Pedro Acosta was in the battle, but actually that last lap fight came down to Sergio versus Denise Onchu. And actually... I was really impressed once again by Sergio and what he'd learned from the week prior where Acosta pulled that move downhill in, in turn nine and Sergio basically <laughs> he replicated that move. But it was his actual aggression in sector two through those double lefts and his precision right on the back wheel of Vonchu. And you could see how he was attacking to get that momentum, to get the roll on the approach uphill to, to turn nine. And then he pulled that move, Vonchu rode really aggressive, always wanted to lead, puts a lot of effort in to stay at the front, but Garcia was clinical and then protecting the inside line at the last corner. And I thought actually that would compromise his exit, but Andre uh, didn't quite have enough to slip through him to the line. So Sergio pulled a big points haul back actually on Acosta. So going that, that 12-point swing from a, a first to a fourth and all of a sudden you see the gap coming down in those kind of increments and you think this title's far from done. So although Acosta's always there in that that battle at the front, um, Garcia pulling back that a number of points. I think it's still, he's still feeling it's possible. So good to see that from the young Spaniard. It actually, at the head of the pack in the Moto3 race was a KTM battle, really. Even the fastest Honda, Dennis Foggia, couldn't, he couldn't pull out of the slipstream. He couldn't match the KTMs, Husqvarna's and Gas Gases, which are all KTMs essentially. But that engine's strong. It's punch off the corners. It's top speed now. And it seems like KTM have continued to develop and Honda have maybe fallen asleep ever so slightly. So Foggia did grab a podium on the last lap, but he was kind of lucky in, in how the cards fell for him. And Acosta and Fanati didn't get what probably their pace deserved on the day. But yeah, it was interesting that both McPhee and Binder were hanging on there. You could see when they got into the draft, they couldn't, they could barely stay in the draft, let alone make an overtake, which in Moto3 is crucial. So all the other Hondas were basically dropping off the back. You could see Alcobo was there at the start. He couldn't hang in there. Suzuki as well struggled. But um, but yeah, actually the other impressive rider was Izan Guevara. And similar to what happened in Qatar earlier this year when he visited the circuit for the second time, I think he finished seventh there, the second visit to Qatar. And now he's benefiting from that uh, double weekend's worth of experience. So he's actually what you would expect from a typical rookie, whereas Acosta's blown rookie kind of potentials and expectations out of the window this season. But I was really impressed with Guevara's speed at the end of the race and catching up to that group and managing to get one over in Darren Binder. So yeah, he was he was really strong and nice to see. So I think if he stays with that Aspar squad, he'll have a, a really strong 2022 season. As for Moto2, it was a little bit more of a time trial race out front. So Fernandez Ral, that is, getting to the front again and setting lap times that no one 
was comfortable doing so. I kept him honest. I Aguro was once again really impressive around the Red Bull ring, but just those last few laps, Raul had something in the tank and he just put, I think it was the penultimate lap or the one before, he put his head down a really strong lap time and it, and it kind of broke Ai's spirit. You could see once that gap stretched out a little bit, I had no answer, but another really strong result and first podium of the season for Ai. He's gone from strength to strength. The man in third place, though, on the Mark VDS machine, Augusto Fernandez, he's definitely found his feet. Three podiums on the bounce, three front rows on the bounce. He's really consistent. He's there every single session. And um, yeah, really impressed with his his ability at the moment to to turn turn his season around at the midway point. Also, Sam Lowe's, that was an impressive weekend after a difficult weekend at the Red Bull Ring. He qualified on pole. He had a really strong rhythm throughout the race. He had to he had to really push hard. You could see in the mid part of the race, I thought he was coming back to them. He was kind of sensing a podium, but uh, he just wasn't to be. He did choose that harder option rear tyre and he said he had a lot of wheel spin. So I guess the soft was probably the best in terms of the 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 race win and tyre performance, if you like. But for Sam, he was happier on that hard tyre and he made it work. Another good ride from the other Honda Team Asia machine of Sumkat Chantra in fifth. That was a good battle with him and Celestino Vietti. They were quite clear of championship protagonists Remy Gardner and Marco Bozzecchi, but it was a fun battle actually watching Remy and Aaron Cannett battling and getting upsetting each other. Cannett wasn't given best today, but yeah, that was Remy's worst result of the season. And actually, likewise, what what we've seen in Moto3, the the points gap getting pulled back a little bit whenever you see Ralph Fernandez take that victory and Remy only seventh. So a few days like that and all of a sudden that, that lead can evaporate. So the boys need to keep on their toes. Thanks for that, Michael. Good to have your insight as ever. Um, when it comes back to coming back to the Moto3, uh, David and Neil, um, you know, we, we can see there's a clear path for Pedro Acosta, you know, moving out of, of the of the class pretty quickly. I mean, he's he's done. I think he's demonstrated everything he has to has to in, in Moto3. I mean, in terms of racecraft and his maturity and, and everything. I mean, he's clearly ready for the next step to Moto2. Um, if we talk about somebody like Darren Binder as well, I mean, he's highly rumored to make, a, you know, a jump two levels up to MotoGP. But is there anybody else that we kind of see from the current crop that you think, you know, I mean, Sergio Garcia be looking at Moto2 next year. I mean, is, is there any other riders where you think there's that kind of flash of potential where they don't necessarily need to stick around on the smaller bike? I think Neil is much better job, uh, is a much better place to judge than me, but that doesn't going to stop me from having an entirely incorrect opinion. <laughs> uh, but I mean, <laughs> apart from uh, uh, apart from Sergio Garcia, I mean, Dennis Onchu has looked really, really good. He's looked quite mature. He still has some learning to, to do, um, but he has potential. He really does have potential. That's uh, He's quite exciting. Uh, Ethan Guevara is also, uh, it's his first year. He's also a rookie. Yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, he's been just really impressive as well. So they're both sort of like riders you could uh, you could look at and say, yeah, maybe maybe it's time for them. Um, yeah, I, I think those are, those are the riders that I'd be I'd be looking at to or thinking about. Yeah, they deserve a shot in Moto uh, in Moto. Yeah, I think Garcia, you would have to say, is probably ready to step up to Moto2 next year. Um, Aaron Kinnett is obviously leaving Aspar's team in Moto2, and I don't know whether that would possibly leave a, a space for Garcia to fit in. Um, I think Dave makes valid points on Andrew and Guevara. I think they're two big, big talents, but I think they're still, they could do with another year in Moto3 to maybe be regularly fighting for wins and championships. I love Dennis Onju in the press conference afterwards was just monosyllabic, monosyllabic, <laughs> you know, it was just so 
so fittest about losing. Um, <laughs> it's just hilarious. Tried to ask him a question and uh, I just got a, a, a shrug of the shoulders and a, a why not, a kind of disdainful, like, <laughs> Why are you, did you even ask me this question? Which I, I, I really appreciated. That's because you're a lump of a journalist without <laughs> ambition. <yeah. laughs> Always have a way with those words, Al. Add, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think those those two. I think uh, Garcia. I mean, I'm interested to see what McPhee could do in a Model Two machine. Um, and you kind of feel that um, he's obviously had a real tough year, McPhee, and just. Um, yeah, it's kind of time for him to move up. Maybe he'll get a spot, um, but. Yeah, I think, uh, I think other than Garcia and Acosta, there's not many that I think like you have to get them into Model 2 next year. 41 points then. Um, you know, that was a hefty little slice away from um, Pedro Acosta's lead from Sergio Garcia. Are we still very optimistic about Pedro winning at his first attempt? Or, you know, is there a, a real test of his mental fortitude coming up over the next few rounds, Dave? Where, um, you know, you've already, I've already asked you to put your money on the table once, so I'm, I'm <laughs> stretching the uh, the bounds of decorum here by asking you to get your wallet out again. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, uh... I think Acosta has the mental fortitude, just the the the, the drive, the concentration, and then he's in the right team to be able to hang on. Um, it would be really interesting, not now, uh, and I certainly don't wish it on him, but it'd be really interesting to see his further development, how it, it would impact him if he didn't win the championship, to be this far ahead and then lose out at the last race, something like that. Those are the sort of things that have massive, massive impact on people. Um, uh, you saw, for example, Miguel Oliveira and Danny Kent that year in Moto3. When Danny went, when he, Oliveira was getting closer and closer and closer, Oliveira took an enormous amount of strength from that battle. Um, and I think that helps him down the road. And I think it'd be very interesting to see uh, what would happen if, say, uh, you know, Garcia gets really close. Um, but honestly, Sir Pedro Acosta looks so balanced um, that I think he can take his losses and still win. Neil, have you got, an, uh, uh, have you got a bet for this one? <sighs> I mean, it's a tough one. I kind of thought halfway point of the season that Garcia was unlikely to put together a run of seconds and firsts and seconds and firsts just because of the nature of Model 3 racing. But as we saw in Austria, when the, the pace gets stretched at the front and, and, and someone takes initiative, you have a different style of race. Um, no, I still think Acosta's got enough in hand. 41 points is a huge, huge gap um, to have. But I agree with Dave. It's going to be really interesting just to see if that gets well done at the next one or two races, how he starts to, how he starts to react, whether he still is that same sort of cocksure character that we've seen so far this year. Um, but yeah, if I had to put money, I would say Acosta's still got enough in hand yet. I mean, Acosta's shown his potential at places like, you know, Valencia, for example, and Red Bull rookies. But uh, Sergio Garcia is also, I think he took his first race win there two seasons ago. Um, and, you know, last year, I think in the double race, he was also on the podium. So, you know, there, maybe there's a couple of strong tracks. I mean, Cheste certainly could be, a, you know, um, a happy hunting ground for him, which, you know, might even make the championship very interesting in coming to the last. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Garcia is just fantastic around um, some of the Spanish tracks, including um, Aragon and Valencia. But, you know, Acosta knows those tracks as well quite well. So um, it, it's tough to say which one or the other would be would be stronger there. Uh, just a quick word, I think it's worth mentioning on Dennis Foggia, who finished third. I mean, it was a, an exceptional ride from him when you consider that he was the first Honda and he was ahead of the game. It was even more exceptional when 
his comments to Italian television after the race came to light, in which he described how basically there was a bit of a running battle between the Leopard team and him and his father. And from what I understand, um, Foggia was represented by the Leopard team on a kind of personal level. They were like his personal manager. And I think he might have moved to change that. Um, and it seems that um, the team maybe didn't react so well and might have uh, rescinded his father's pass, um, meaning that um, he couldn't come into the race. So Foggia was basically saying, uh, he, was, he was burying all, burying the whole situation and was saying, there's no chance that I'll be with Leopard next year. I want to get out of this team uh, when I can and move up to Moto2 for 2022. Um, so, I mean... Fair play to Dennis. Um, I've been a bit critical of him in the past, but that showed real steel, real balls. Um, and quite impressive that he managed to put all of that out of his head during that race and uh, come up with a really good podium. Uh, there have been instances in the past where team managers uh, have also been the personal managers of riders. Um, it, I mean, it can work, but it just seems to me to be an absolutely terrible idea. Uh, there, uh, with Michael Barcelamy and Scott Redding, uh, personal manager and team manager Aki Ayo, I think, has also managed uh, some of his own riders. Um, I'd certainly trust Aki Ayo as a as a rider manager. He's been very, very good. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it just seems that it's such an enormous conflict of uh, of interest that it doesn't seem like a very good idea. And just uh, another influence from you know parental guidance or misguidance it's quite sort of sad to to hear that story um i didn't know that neil so it's quite revealing um you just hope the fodger does sort it out and there's not too many external influences maybe he should join andre in uh, agency or uh, you know perhaps uh, <laughs> seek out maverick Binyales's consultancy firm but um with that, we'll slipstream our way straight on to uh, your usual channels to download these podcasts. And um, we'll be back straight uh, next week, actually, previewing Silverstone and then the next round of MotoGP. The first time we'll be going to the track in two years, of course, uh, the British circuit missing out in MotoGP 2020 due to the pandemic. And um, we've only had one race there in three years after the uh, the deluge of, of rainfall in 2018. So it'll be go uh, good to catch up with you guys next week. And um, Dave, you want to add one more thing before we go? Yeah, uh, remember the um, uh, uh, Silverstone, the Day of Champions is on uh, on the Thursday, I think, or is it Wednesday or Thursday? Uh, the Thursday, on the Thursday. Yeah, yeah, great uh, plug. Yes, yeah, uh, go to that. Support Two Wheels for Life if at all possible, and um, uh, you know they need it. They've had a really difficult time during uh, during that, and it's a fantastic. Uh, it's been it's fantastic cause and it deserves uh, support. Thanks for listening. This has been the Paddock Pass podcast follow-up show presented or fueled even by uh, Elf Mark VDS Racing. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com.